Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 34 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode on the 19th Sunday after Pentecost, I address the following topics. First, the upcoming feast days this week, including valuable information on what we can glean from the lives of these wonderful saints, and unfortunately many of them are forgotten in the modern church, so there's so much we can learn from studying their life and sharing it with others. And secondly, I discuss a recent article that I wrote for the Fatima Center regarding the miracles of our Lord as objective historical realities that really show us that he truly was who he says he was. But before we get into these topics, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers in Latin conveniently on the go. Practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of Latin words, PrayLatin.com offers prayer cards in various formats, including Latin-English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 mysteries. Shop for additional Latin resources like missile booklets, server response cards, and more. Please visit PrayLatin.com today and thank them for sponsoring this episode. On to the first topic of today's episode, regarding the upcoming feast days this week, Tomorrow, October 9th, is the Feast of St. John Leonard. Uh, He was beatified in 1861 and canonized in 1938 by Pope Pius XI. Pope Pius XII extended his feast to the Universal Church in 1940. This is what Father Albin Butler says of him, quote, The parable of the mustard seed growing into a great tree is verified not only in the life of the Church, but often in the work of saintly priests. It is vividly true in the career of the St. Honored today. Born in 1543 in Italy, where he died 66 years later, John Leonard was first a pharmacist helper in Lucca. It was not until he was 26 that he began to study for the priesthood. He was 40 at the time of his ordination, and for the next 24 years he engaged in many apostolic labors. The heresies of his day were robbing the young, particularly of the birthright to their true faith. For them, he established a congregation, the clerk's regular of the Mother of God. It was like so many zealous endeavors threatened with dissolution, but was saved by the direct action of the Pope. Burning with great zeal for souls, he wanted to go to foreign missions, but St. Philip Neri, who looked upon him as a real reformer, told him that his mission was to the people of Italy. This vocation at home, however, did not dampen his ardor for the fields afar, and through another priest he managed to arrange a group to form young men to go as priests to pioneers in the work of the propagation of the faith." We can learn much as he notes from the lives of saintly priests. I was able and privileged to see and venerate the body of St. John Leonard, which is housed under an altar in Rome. His feast, though, relatively recently added to the church's calendar in 1940, is why so many, unfortunately, may not be so familiar with his life. So today, uh, let us spend some time so that we tomorrow we can find reading materials 
to adequately read and understand the life of the saint so we can appropriately observe his feast day. And it would be a great day for us to pray in a special way for the missions as well as for our priests who do so much to labor on behalf of souls and who so often go day by day without adequate thanks. Let us spend tomorrow, October 9th, really thanking a priest, a true traditional priest, for the hard work that they do. October 9th, though, is also the Feast of St. Dennis. It's a commemoration. The Church remembers St. Dennis, Bishop and Martyr, and his companions on this day. St. Dennis was born in Italy, uh, but much further uh, in the past than St. John Leonard. In the year 250, he was sent to France with six other missionary bishops by Pope St. Fabian. St. Dennis became the first bishop of Paris, in fact. And because of his success, he angered the pagans and was imprisoned by the Roman governor. He was beheaded on the highest hill in France, the Montemart, in the year 258, with a priest, Rusticus, and a deacon uh, as well. One of the many legends about his torture and death that his body carried his own severed head some distance from the site of his execution, and during that walk, he continued to preach. It was this miracle of God that brought about the conversion of many people. St. Dennis is one of the 14 holy helpers, who was especially invoked in the Middle Ages against the Black Plague. St. Genevieve built a basilica over his grave, which is the burial site of French kings, and his feast was added to the Roman calendar in the year 1568 by Pope St. Pius V, though it had been celebrated since at least the year 800 AD. He is, therefore, the patron saint against headaches, against strife, against uh, diabolical possession, and the patron saint for not only Paris, France, but all of France. A great day for us to pray as well for the French to return to their Catholic roots. October 10th is the feast of St. Francis Borgia. He's nicknamed the second founder of the Jesuit order. May he intercede on that day in a very particular way for that order to be restored from the heresy that has plagued it over the past century. And may we learn to imitate him and to despise earthly goods for the love of God. The rich and poor alike must have a detachment to earthly goods, preferring nothing else before God. This is essential and is the foundation of the spiritual life as taught in the Ignatian Retreat. It is true that you can be saved even if you do have wealth. You can be saved if you're poor. And thus, you can also be damned if you're rich and damned if you do not have wealth. It is detachment to earthly goods, whether you have them or not. That is the necessary foundation of the spiritual life. If you've never had the ability to go on a traditional Ignatian spiritual retreat, I would highly encourage it. Now, this feast, St. Francis Borgia, his conversion was really brought about in a special way um, because, well, he passed his childhood in his father's house in a wonderful way, in innocence and in piety, and he appeared to be most admirable when he showed himself a pattern of Christian virtue and austerity at the court of the emperor, Charles V, and afterwards he was viceroy in Catalonia. Uh, so when we say bringing about his conversion, he lived a very good life. Now, he was changed, though, to conf uh, after he had the ability to see the body of the Empress Isabella in her, in her grave as she was laid um, dead. He had the a chance to look at her. And seeing that horrible change in her features, here was a woman who was known for her beauty during her earthly life, and seeing her dead laying before him, brought about an intense further transformation in him because he saw how fleeting all earthly things are, whether they be riches or they be beauty or they be anything you can have here. They're, they're all going to be taken away. The only thing that remains is the state of our soul at death. And if we die in the state of grace, 
We know we will ultimately one day get to heaven. We will bring our merits with us, and they will determine our place in heaven. There is a hierarchy in heaven. Those who have done greater good and have lived their earthly life in greater pursuit of heavenly things will be rewarded to a higher degree. And thus he saw that in that instance, and it totally changed his whole life. Um, There's much more that can be said about him. And as I've mentioned before many times, I will have a link in the show notes so you can read the lives of the saints in the upcoming feast days of this week. October the 11th is the Feast of the Motherhood of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. Many Catholics incorrectly think that January 1st uh, is, uh, is the feast day in which we recall the motherhood of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, we know as traditional Catholics, this is the uh, January 1st, is the Feast of the Circumcision of Our Lord. But even in the traditional rites of the Church, the Catholic prayer of that Mass does refer to the motherhood. Uh, of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. But even that being said, it is true that actually October 11th, not January 1st, is specifically for the honor of Our Lady as the Mother of God. The dogma of the Divine Motherhood was defined at the Council of Ephesus back all the way in the year 431. And in his encyclical, Proclaiming the Present Feast, which commemorated the 15th centenary of the Council, Pope Pius XI uh, uh, specifically requested that we pray to Mary for the return of the separated churches of the East. For these churches had united with the Pope and the whole church at Ephesus in proclaiming her to be the Mother of God. And to this day they retain a deep devotion to her. Mary is their mother also. For in becoming mother of our Redeemer, she became the spiritual mother of all men. So then, let us especially on October 1st recall Mary, truly the mother of God, because she's the mother of Jesus Christ, who is God. Let us recall on October 1st to pray in a very special way additional prayers to the mother of God to bring about an end to the schism that separates the Catholic Church from the Orthodox, uh, different Orthodox churches around the world. May all who are separated from the Church of our Lord be united in the Ark of Salvation, the one holy Catholic Church. And likewise, may we pray for the end of the schism and the heresy which ravages the Roman Catholic Church as well to end, so that she can be a better beacon of light and grace in the world, and to bring about the reunion of those Orthodox Christians. October 12th is the Feast of Our Lady of the Pillar, um, which is a wonderful uh, place of pilgrimage in Saragossa in Spain. Uh, you can pray there at a statue. It's quite famous, actually, because this was the first Marian apparition in the whole world. Our Blessed Mother appeared to St. James while she was still alive. Uh, she appeared to him while he was in Spain. And um, you can read much more. I don't have time to go into the story regarding that apparition. But this feast they kept in some places on October 12th. It's not on the universal calendar, but in some places, especially Spain, will keep the feast of Our Lady of the Pillar. There's wonderful pictures and paintings of this, and there's much that can be said of regarding this apparition. Of course, Our Lady continued to appear in apparitions even after uh, her assumption into heaven and her coronation there. But what's interesting is she did appear in an apparition even before her assumption while she was still physically in earth. It's actually quite interesting. 
And lastly, October 13th is the Feast of St. Edward the Confessor, the King of England. Uh, he was the first King of England uh, to really to touch the king's evil. Many sufferers from the disease were cured by him. He was canonized by Alexander III in the year 1161, and his feast is kept on the 13th of October. His incorrupt body was solemnly transferred on that day in 1163 by St. Thomas of Canterbury in the presence of King Henry II. Uh, much can be said regarding his saintly life as well. Um, he is the only saint buried in Westminster Abbey and one of the few that was not destroyed by the onslaught of Henry V against true Catholic saints, of which St. Uh, Edward the Confessor truly is a Catholic saint, not an Anglican one. Now moving on to the next topic uh, of this episode, I'd like to draw your attention to an article I recently wrote for the Fatima Center regarding the miracles of our Lord and the Apostles as objective historical realities. Now, Father John Hardin defines a miracle as follows, quote, a sensibly perceptible effect, surpassing at least the powers of visible nature produced by men to witness to some truth or to testify to someone's sanctity, end quote. Now, I have been working on a series of articles for nearly um, a year and a half or two years for the Fatima Center, going through the book Laying the Foundation, a handbook of Catholic apologetics and fundamental theology that was written by Father Joseph Fenton uh, in the early 19 and mid-1900s. Now, this uh, article is based on what Father Fenton wrote, and he notes that the Gospels are manifestly clear that our Lord worked more than 40 miracles beyond mere human power. In fact, he specifically states there were 48 miracles performed by our Lord, and they, were, they can be separated into a wide variety of miracles. You have miracles over illness, over demonic possession, over the powers of nature, and much more. Uh, and then he goes on to cite many of those miracles. But what's interesting to note, and he's using this in the context of apologetics, all of these miracles were beyond human reasoning, and many of them are cited in multiple books of Scripture in further corroboration of their historical reality. Uh, but what's really insightful to note is that despite the abundant testimony of these miracles, the enemies of our Lord persisted in their desire to kill him, yet never denying his miracles, as Father Fenton notes as further proof of their historical reality. Here's what he says, quote, Cold-blooded, vicious, but intensely realistic, the enemies of Jesus never attempted to deny his miracles. They considered them as effective signs performed by the sort of man who was worthy of credence by reason of his intellectual and moral integrity. It was precisely because they were effective and real that they meant to take definitive action against him. It would have been the easiest thing in the world, from their point of view, to indicate to the people who reverence and followed them that the hated Nazarene had never performed any miracles of all. The fact that these tireless spies and inquisitors did not do this is most certain evidence that the supernatural character of Jesus' work were so manifest as to render such instructions ludicrous. The men of the Sanhedrin felt they could not afford to let Jesus alone. Still less could they afford to make themselves a laughingstock before the people by denying the reality of his signs, end quote. Now, Father Fennin also goes on to talk about that our Lord's closest friends also received the power from our Lord to perform miracles, and they spread his name to the furthest bounds of the known world as the first bishops of the Catholic Church and confirmed our Lord's miracles as further proof of the truth of the Catholic and apostolic faith of which they taught. 
And the miracles did not stop with the death of the last of the apostles. St. Paul, the closest collaborator to the original 11 disciples, based the entirety of his writings around the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ by his own power. To St. Paul, the resurrection was not a mere story that was to be passed down by the 11, but one that he and others had experienced by seeing our Lord personally. Father Fenton then also notes the ability of the apostles and many others to work miracles both before and after our Lord's resurrection is further proof of the truth inherent solely in his divinely established religion, the Catholic religion. Since miracles can only come from God and not from natural causes, and since God will never confirm a falsehood, legitimate miracles are the vindication of a truth by God himself. We see this often throughout history in the miracles wrought by the saints to testify to the truth of the Catholic faith against the errors of false religions. One such instance among thousands is a miracle uh, performed by St. Dominic in which the books of heretical Albigensians and those of the Catholics were thrown together into a fire before St. Dominic. The Catholic books were miraculously preserved, but... Uh, and they were uh, the fire rejected them three times, but the heretical ones of the Albigensians were burned entirely in the exact same fire. God confirms truth by miracles. If you'd like more information on this and regarding more articles that I write for the Fatima Center on apologetics, please check out the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening to the episode this week. May God grant you a most blessed week. Thank you all for listening, and let us strive for greater holiness this and every other week. It is so possible to get caught up in political discussions or to feel that we are powerless to change the church or society or governments to fall into despair. We cannot let that happen. Our focus has to be primarily and entirely on what do I do to help uh, myself and my family and my closest friends live a Catholic life. That's the focus. Let that be our goal this week. Thanks again for listening. Ad maiorum, Dei Gloriam. Sweet Holy Spectator.